Yes, in his spoken word, the Almighty emphasizes that his ways are inscrutable. But it may be that for the Bible, the most important message of the chapter is its opening words. God spoke out of the whirlwind, meaning that even in undergoing a turmoil and an emotional storm within oneself, within one's heart and soul, one can still find God. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 251, The Whirlwind. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Shakespeare Uncovered is a wonderful TV series in which each episode is devoted to one Shakespeare play. An actor who has a connection to this particular work discusses the various ways in which the play was performed and speaks with scholars and other actors that reflect upon it. The episode about King Lear is hosted by Christopher Plummer, and one of the most interesting moments is his discussion of Act 3, where Lear, abandoned by his family, heads out onto the heath, or as Plummer puts it, quote, Lear now has nothing, homeless and furious. He has no choice but to face the elements. We next meet Lear on a heath in the wilderness, at the mercy of a tremendous storm. Plummer continues, Today's special effects means that almost anything is possible on film, but what about Shakespeare's stage? So Plummer asks, meaning, what did they used to do in Elizabethan England, in the Globe Theater, in the open air, on, say, a spring or summer day, to summon the feeling of a storm, a tempest? How, in the midst of London, surrounded by a cramped crowd, did they summon the situation of a man all alone at the mercy of the elements? Plummer shows us how the storm is depicted in an old-fashioned way at the Globe in London today, with simple vessels, instruments, and drums, creating the feeling of a storm and the whoosh of winds. In one version of the play, we are told, the director made the choice not to have any simulation of rain. They merely dumped water on top of the actor. But then Christopher Plummer says something about this scene, how he would have staged it. And when I heard what he said, I was struck by it. And his statement in the end impacted how I read the most famous scene in the book of Job and how I understood what this biblical book might be seeking to teach us. Following the speech of the mysterious man Elihu, God suddenly addresses himself to Job. And let us look not only at the words of the Almighty, but also at the way in which God chooses to reveal himself. Chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the spiritual beings shouted for joy. Or who shut up the sea with doors when it broke forth as if it had issued out of the womb. When I made the cloud the garment thereof and thick darkness a swaddling band for it. And broke up for it my decreed place and set bars and doors and said, Hitherto shalt thou come but no further. And here shall thy proud waves be stayed. God, in other words, describes his own inscrutability as it is made manifest in the complexity of creation. Our very inability to understand creation, the Almighty informs Job, ought to lead human beings to comprehend their lack of comprehension of God's ways. The Almighty further says, Hast thou perceived the breadth of the earth? Declare if thou knowest it all. Where is the way where light dwelleth? And as for darkness, where is the place thereof? That thou shouldst take it to the bound thereof, and that thou shouldst know the path to the house thereof. Knowest thou it because thou wast then born? Or because the number of thy days is great? Hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow? 
Or hast thou seen the treasures of the hail, which I have reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and war? By what way is the light parted, which scattereth the east wind upon the earth? God, then, is emphasizing his omnipotence and omniscience. When one first reads this chapter, one wonders, is this chapter only divine declaration without consolation? What of the soul of Job, who is suffering so? But then one realizes how the chapter begins, the way in which God chooses to appear. He is speaking to Job out of the whirlwind. What is this whirlwind? It was watching Shakespeare Uncovered that led me to attempt an understanding of it. Because the most famous scene in King Lear is also about the whirling of winds, with the abandoned king shouting at the storm as follows. Blow, winds, and crack your cheeks. Rage, blow. And adding, singe my white head, and thou, all shaking thunder, strike flat the thick rotundity of the world. Commenting on this scene, Christopher Plummer reflected in Shakespeare Uncovered how he might have chosen to stage it. He says, quote, Lear is indeed being tortured as much by his own thoughts and regrets as he is by the storm. And that for me means that one could play the scene in a very different way. There should be no storm at all, really, ideally. And he makes the storm and imagines it. It would be wonderful to see a production like that with no background storm. Just him persuading the audience that there is a storm in him because he, the old adage, that Lear is the storm, end quote. This is a profound point. The storm represents the turmoil that is Lear's life. And after hearing this, I saw it's similarly expressed by the Shakespeare scholar Marjorie Garber, who writes that this turmoil, quote, is both inside Lear and all around him, end quote. And she adds that when a storm is actually depicted, quote, this is stagecraft of the highest order. Here the inner man has come together with the world he inhabits. The king is in high rage and the storm rages about him. There is no difference between Lear and his tempest. It is within him and without him. He is its cause, end quote. Garber further notes the words of Lear himself, who says, This tempest in my mind doth from my senses take all feeling else, save what beats there. It was upon hearing Plummer that I thought to suggest, the whirlwind in the book of Job is the storm that is in the mind and soul of Job himself. And for the Bible to say that God spoke to Job from the midst of the whirlwind is to say that in the midst of Job's emotional tempest, he feels God near to him. He feels God speaking to him. He feels that God is with him. King Lear is often compared to Job by scholars, and I cannot have been the first to think that Shakespeare is linking his famous Heath scene to the whirlwind scene of Job. But of course, there is one important difference. Lear as scholars note, is set in an age and society before the Bible arrives in Britain, meaning before monotheism. Thus, Lear rages against the gods rather than feeling their presence, asking the gods to further fuel his rage against his daughters who have abandoned him. Lear says, You heavens, give me that patience, patience I need. You see me here, you gods, a poor old man, as full of grief as age, wretched in both. If it be you that stirs these daughters' hearts against their father, Fool me not so much to bear it tamely. Touch me with noble anger. In Job, the wind blows, but God's voice emerges out of the whirlwind. Yes, in his spoken word, the Almighty emphasizes that his ways are inscrutable. But it may be that for the Bible, the most important message of the chapter is its opening words. God spoke out of the whirlwind, meaning 
that even in undergoing a turmoil and an emotional storm within oneself, within one's heart and soul, one can still find God. In a brilliant essay titled Out of the Whirlwind, Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik compares two famous revelations of God, two experiences of the Almighty. Isaiah describes, early in his book, seeing God sitting on his throne, a throne that is within the temple, with the Almighty's royal train suffusing the sacred place. Ezekiel opens with another vision of God, but he does so from exile, with the destruction of Jerusalem imminent. Ezekiel describes mysterious visions, flashes of light, the chaotic movement of ethereal beings known as Ophanim and Chayot, a firmament of ice, a great wind, and then he sees God in the likeness, as he puts it, of a man. For Rabbi Soloveitchik, the chaotic turmoil in the vision bespeaks the turmoil of the crisis in which Ezekiel and his fellow Jews find themselves. He writes, When catastrophe strikes man, when the whirlwind sweeps across his private world, leaving wreckage behind, he first hears the tumult of the chayot and ofanim, the noise of mechanical nonsensical forces ruling the universe. Beyond this insensate, unalterable causal nexus, he sees the cold indifference of empty, bleak heavens. Satan's laughter can be heard out of the roar of the whirlwind. Yet Ezekiel suddenly perceived something new, a strange sound coming from afar, from a remote corner of being, from above the icy firmament, penetrating this terrible icy spread which shut everything out of sight. This voice was not drowned out by the tumult of the wheels, the noise of the living creatures, the host of the great waters. It prevailed in spite of the roar of the tempest. End quote. Thus, for God to speak out of a whirlwind for Rabbi Soloveitchik reflects the fact that human beings can connect with God within the whirlwind of their souls. Rabbi Soloveitchik writes further, describing Ezekiel, quote, After resigning himself to an absurd existence in a prison camp, after plunging into the abyss of black despair, the scenery changed suddenly. He heard a voice of one that spoke, a meaningful voice and not an absurd one, not the tumult of mighty waters. He saw God in the likeness of a man. The questing eye met a lonely thou, not in the temple, but in the camp of downtrodden homeless prisoners. The words were addressed out of the whirlwind, and the likeness of the glory of the Lord emerged out of the frightening fire. End quote. God, in chapter 38 of Job, and in those that follow, informs Job from the whirlwind that God's ways surpass understanding. But one of the central teachings of this chapter, I think, is that there is a God who speaks from out of the whirlwind. Not only the whirlwind without, but also the whirlwind within. In a famous line in a letter to Thomas Jefferson, a man named John Page, writing in July of 76, wrote as follows, quote, P.S. I am highly pleased with your declaration. God preserve the United States. We know the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Do you not think an angel rides in the whirlwind and directs this storm? End quote. To speak not of an angel, but of God himself in the midst of the chaos of the whirlwind. To believe that God can be found not only in the whirlwind of historical events, but also in the storm within one's life. That is the teaching of the beginning of this chapter in Job. And this, for the rabbis, is also the message of the Exodus, which begins when God chose to speak to Moses out of a thorn bush of all botanical specimens, speaking from within the thorns and telling Moses that he has felt the suffering of the slaves. God, the rabbis say, was expressing thereby that imo anochi b'tzara, I am with Israel in its distress. Job is a difficult book, 
and in interpreting its complexities, it is easy to miss one of the most basic but revolutionary points, that in contrast to the societies surrounding ancient Israel, which believed in gods utterly unlike the God of Abraham, gods that were akin to human beings and often not to admirable ones, Israel always insisted that there is one true God who is inscrutable and yet is still there with us in the tempest to be found in the whirlwind of our lives and in the storms of our souls. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.